Well, good morning. Sorry about your bracket. That's why I don't fill one out. <laughs> but I watch. Um, I think the ice is out at Raccoon River Park, so uh, baptism should be okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's not a picture back there. You know what's back there? A baptistry. <laughs> so those of you that are ready to be baptized, right there is where it happens. And uh, I tell you what, it, it's meaningful. It's life-changing. It's a big step. It's a declaration of surrender and obedience and affirmation of entrance into the body of Christ. And it moves people who watch. It's a moving experience. It's not just a quick ritual we run through. So, hey, if you haven't been baptized, let's do it. You know, I have to tell you right up front here, as we're in Lent, <clears throat> I came from a tradition myself where we didn't observe Lent. I mean, we heard about it. We knew others did. We knew there was a part of Christianity that focused on Lent, but, but we didn't. And uh, to be perfectly honest, and I guess this is a point of confession for me, we kind of had a kind of a critical attitude toward those folks. They were hung up in liturgy and tradition, and we were freer and more real in our faith than they were. But coming to Ashworth and getting connected here, I found a church that actually talked about Lent and, and observed Lent in a meaningful sort of a way. And I want to tell you that, first of all, I apologize to all of those brothers and sisters in Christ that I have uh, had ill, negative attitudes toward. And I want to say that I so much appreciate what Ashworth is doing in making us aware of Lent. And, uh, and, and I have the assignment today to handle the, the uh, scriptures in the lectionary from for the fourth Sunday of Lent. And uh, I'll say one thing. Anybody that observes Lent and takes the scripture readings seriously and spends time with them is getting some really deep stuff out of the scriptures. And uh, it's been quite an experience for me working on this message today. Um, for example, do you know that we have 1 Samuel 16, 1 to 13, Psalms 23, Ephesians 5, 8 to 14, and John 9, 1 to 41. If you went to my son's Anglican church, they would read these verses. It would be a scripture from the, uh, old, the Hebrew scriptures, it would be a psalm, and, and they would read it and they'd say, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And, uh, and then they, there's a, there's a um, word from the epistles, and there's a gospel reading. And it would be central in their Lenten observances. Well, we're not going to read all of those scriptures today. But I want to tell you a story. Uh, Sally and I, some of you know, used to live out in Montana. And uh, Montana's a, quite a place. Oh, look, there's a picture. 
What that picture is, is uh, the scenery around a place called Sarpy Creek in Montana. It's in east central Montana, not very far from Billings, Montana. And um, that terrain rises above the creek into foothills, and it's filled with timber, as you can see, and open places. And what you can't see in that picture, but there's a lot of ravines and coolies and draws in there, and it's great habitat for wildlife. And we used to hunt, Sally and I. We used to go hunting together. My Sally, <laughs> she's a killer. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's put plenty of venison in our freezer. Um, she'll tell you why she quit hunting. I'm not going to go into that story. But anyway, we went out to Sarpy Creek one day to go hunting. And it was a beautiful fall day. And uh, we were out there. Uh, we were friends with the property owner. And uh, we had the place to ourselves and hundreds of acres of land. And uh, we were out just looking over the country, not in a big hurry. Um, I knew there was plenty of game around. And, and uh, then it clouded up, and as the day came toward late afternoon, it began to snow. Like them big snowflakes we had this week around here, um, it, it started doing that. And it was just amazing. It was a beautiful scene. I mean. You can drive down the interstate or go to one of the national parks and think you've seen mountain country and the big sky and all that, but unless you get off the road and back into it, you really don't know what that's about. The sagebrush was wafting through the air and the pine, smell of pine and the freshness of the air and the bigness of the sky. It's just an amazing experience. And we were all into that and, and looking for mule deer as well. And uh, we found some mule deer, and one of them got shot. <laughs> but it, it ran off. And so we had to go look for it, and it was starting to snow. And we decided we couldn't just sit there and watch that snow for very long. We need to go looking. And so we went after it. And we came to a place where the trail, we couldn't find the trail, the snow was covering it, and we couldn't follow it anymore. And so I said to Sally, you stay here, and I'm going to go off in this direction. And I went off looking for this deer. And I looked, and I looked, and I thought I knew might, maybe where they went. I'd hunted there before. And, and I looked, and, and time got away, and darkness began to settle in. And, and I thought, well, I don't know what happened to Sally. I better go find her. And, I, and then I heard a shot, boom, and, uh, and it was Sally signaling, where the heck are you? <laughs> and we found each other, and she had slipped in the snow and turned her ankle, and she was hurting. And it was obvious we weren't going to find the deer. And so I had to decide, now we're going to find our way back to the vehicle. It was a bit of a hike. And I said, let's go this way. And we hiked a little ways, and she said, well, I don't think that's right. I think we need to go the other way. Oh, no. Oh, no. I said, I know where we're going. And um, so we hiked some more, and she was hurting. And, 
And um, so now I'm carrying both guns, and she's hobbling along. And we went, and we went, and we went, and, and we, we began to cross our trail. <laughs> we were going around in circles and down into coolies and canyons and up, and, and I couldn't figure out where we were, and it was dark now, and I was so disoriented. And she was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and finally, after a couple of hours of this, well into nighttime, I came up on the horizon, and there, standing in front of me, was the windmill. The windmill. Oh, now I know where I am. I'm at the extreme back end of the property. And there was a path, a driving two-track that you could follow from the windmill all the way back right to where we were parked down along the road. And so we went. I found my way out. What I just described for you is what happens when we come from impression and natural sight into awareness and insight. Something opened up the picture for me, and I suddenly knew where we were. That is kind of the theme of these verses that come into the play for the fourth Sunday of Lent. We're going to start with 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to talk about the prophet Samuel and the anointing of King David to be king. A little background. Samuel was miraculously born to Hannah, who had prayed and sought God to give her a child. And Samuel was dedicated to the Lord at the tabernacle of the Lord. And uh, so Eli, the old judge uh, and spiritual leader of Israel, uh, before they had a king, took Samuel under his wing and mentored him. Samuel was raised in the presence of the Lord at the tabernacle. And so then, it was a dark time in the world. The scripture tells us that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. 1 Samuel chapter uh, 3, verse 1. They were fighting with the Philistines. They were quarreling with each other. There was tribal conflict. The whole society was in disarray. It, it was a tough time for Israel. And finally, um, they got into a big fight with, uh, Israel, or with the Philistines, and Israel decided the, <laughs> Eli's two sons, these were a couple of characters, Hophni and Phinehas were their names. They were just completely corrupt and they defrauded and abused the people right under Eli's nose. And Eli was old and wasn't paying attention. And they were spoiled rotten. And these two sons were abusing the people. And they, they came up with an idea about, hey, let's take the tabernacle, I mean, the Ark of the Covenant of God, the very, very most sacred, holy place and symbol of God's presence and covenant with Israel. They said, let's take that up to the battlefront and uh, we'll beat the Philistines this way. And so they carried the Ark of the Covenant 
contrary to God's instructions on how to handle his name and his image. They carried it up into the battle. And at first there was a big shout in the camp of Israel. The presence of the Lord has come among us. And the Philistines heard that and they were startled. And the, you were, the, the Israelites thought, well, that'll scare them off. But what it did, it ticked them off. And it made the Philistines angry. And the story says that the Philistines says, buck up, rise up. We're not going to take this. I don't care if they've got God in their camp. We're going to go after him. And they beat Israel in a slaughter. 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel were killed in that battle. And the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and took it back to their place and Hophni and Phinehas were killed in the battle and when news came back to old Eli he was up in his 90s he was aged and overweight and couldn't see very well and they brought the report back to him it says that he fell off his seat and broke his neck and he died have you ever been embattled in life to the point that nothing makes sense and everything's falling apart and you can't see your way through. You're wandering out in a wilderness, so to speak, like Sally and I did that day. Well, that's where they were. Well, then Samuel, who had been growing up in that, Samuel began to be recognized as a prophet and, and uh, he, he took over as the judge and the prophet in Israel. But the battles continued. It was tough times. And, uh, and finally, the, the people said to Samuel, we're sick of this. We want a king. We need to be a king like everybody else. All the cool kids have kings. Why can't we? And so they begged for a king. And Samuel said, you don't want a king. Yeah, we want a king. And so God said, listen to them. They want a king. Samuel said, he complained to God. Why? They want a king. God said, don't sweat it. They're not turning against you. They're turning against me. But he said, let them have it. Let them have a king. Little side note here. Sometimes God will let us have our way, even though he knows it's not good for us, to help us understand that we need him. And so he said, Go ahead, let the, let the people have their popular idea. And, uh, and so um, they became, they got a king. Samuel appointed Saul. Saul was an impressive individual to look at. He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He had kind of an authoritative presence about him. And Samuel said, ah, that's got to be the king. That's the guy. And the Lord said, yeah, go ahead and choose him. That's fine. Saul was a disaster. Saul messed up at every turn. He was a man of uh, impulse, weak character. He lacked wisdom and spiritual insight. He didn't follow through with things. And ultimately, the Lord rejected him as king. And we pick it up in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? In other words, how long are you going to grieve over this guy and his, the mess he's made of things? And 
he said, since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And so out of the confusion, out of the brokenness of things, out of the lostness of the whole deal, God stepped in and began to bring things to order to help them move, we could say, from sight to insight. And so God put it in Samuel's heart that it was time for a new king, and he said that he had selected for himself. And Samuel, he said, I want you to go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And Samuel said, oh, I can't do that. If Saul finds out I did that, he'll kill me. Saul was an insecure man. And uh, he, he was threatened by anybody that threatened him. And, and, uh, and so Samuel said, I can't do that. I can't go and anoint this new king. He's still the king. He's still in the throne. And God said, you just tell him you're going up to worship. You're going up to the high place to worship. And uh, I'll send along Jesse and, his, and you anoint one of his sons. And so he did. So they worshiped, they offered sacrifice, and then Jesse brought his sons, and he began to parade his sons before Samuel. And we pick it up in verse 7 of 1 Samuel. But the Lord, oh, Jesse brought his sons in order from the oldest to the youngest and Eliab was the first one and Eliab was the oldest he was impressive really a good good looking guy and seemed to have all the stuff but the Lord said to Samuel do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him the Lord does not look at the things man looks at man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart well, he goes down to the list. Well, it must be the next one. Nope, not him. Must be the next one. Nope, not him. On down the list to go. Now, I want to point out something here. There was nothing wrong with these guys just to look at them. They were impressive. They were good sons. There was no indication they had any character flaws. But they weren't who God was looking for. Because God looked past all of that into the heart. And finally, Samuel said to Jesse, is this all your sons? Well, I've got one more, the youngest. He's out with the sheep. We'll go get him. And so David was brought before Samuel, and that's the one. And David was anointed to be king 20 years or so before he actually became king. And um, Samuel, in that moment, had insight. He saw things through God's eyes. He looked beyond the natural look at things, and he saw what God sees. David was striking in features, too. I was kidding around. It says that he has beautiful eyes, and I happened to be sitting at a table where everyone had brown eyes. And I said, well, he had blue eyes. <laughs> uh, well, 
I don't know if he did or not, but he had beautiful eyes, the Bible says, and uh, he was anointed as king. What am I saying here? Two things quickly from this. Clarity of vision will follow worship. The first thing that he, they did was they met and worshiped God and offered sacrifice. And it was out of that that began to flow clarity and insight to Samuel. And it finally led to the anointing of King David. It takes time. It takes patience to get through. We all start from the natural view of things. We all start going by our reason and our logic. And we think that we've got it figured out. But through relationship in worship, through prayer, through patience, the picture comes into focus. Well, we move on to the 23rd Psalm. The, the Psalm, you're familiar with it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then here it is. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There again is a picture of walking in darkness and shadow, not having a clear picture, being intimidated, uncertain. Our lives get that way sometimes. But he says, when I'm near the Lord, see, you have to be close to the shepherd to be experiencing his rod and his staff. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And there's a picture in this psalm of God guiding us to comfort and security and safety from fright and alarm. You know, I could, I, when I was out in uh, Sarpy Creek, stumbling in, down and up in those dark valleys, trying to find my way, I, I thought of David. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I have to say, it could be argued that Sally was trying to be my good shepherd. I know if she'd have had a rod, <laughs> she probably would have used it. <laughs> Proximity to God in the dark valley will bring us to safety and clarity from just natural vision to insight. Well, then we move on. We go into the Ephesians, to the uh, epistles. We read an interesting verse in Ephesians chapter 5. If I can get get to it here. I'm going to read more, and I think one of these verses is going to pop up for us. But um, I'm going to start with verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, 
and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, just a quick footnote here. You'll notice in all of these lists in the Bible about kinds of things we're not to be involved in. It does mention sexual things, but it always includes other things like greed, bickering. We Americans are hung up on sex. We need to be hung up on all of this stuff that comes out of our natural being that takes us on a path contrary to God when we walk by natural sight and not by God's sight. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Um, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. That's good Jared led us in that thanksgiving moment this morning. I appreciate that. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Don't be partners with them, he says. For you were once darkness. You were once darkness. But now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Do you see the progression of thought here? It moves from baseness, coarseness, natural ways of thinking, the worldly ways of doing things. And it talks about find out what pleases the Lord and move that direction. Um, for it is, a, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now, there's among some Christians a tendency to want to talk all about sin, all about the nasty stuff. You know, just hammer away at it. Preach against this. Preach against that. What I understand Paul to be saying here in Ephesians is if you want to walk in the light... If you want to be people of light, you're not going to be talking about that stuff. You're going to live the righteous life. You're going to live the good life. Be children of light. Love one another just as Christ loved us. The, the, the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The way that darkness gets exposed is by coming into the presence of light. Our message is in our lifestyles. It's not in the stuff we're mad about and preach against. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> if you want to cast light into the dark places, 
Live it. Live the light. Live the insightful life. How do you get the insightful life? By being close to the light. In him was light, John says. And the light is the light, that light is the life of the world. That light exposes darkness. It exposes wrongdoing. There's a lot of people that are really ticked off at Christians because always they're against something. Well, what if all they saw of us is what we're for? What are we for? A living Lord, a resurrected Lord who has redeemed us and brought us into new life, who's freed us from the bondage of sin and death, who gives us joy in our sorrows, who helps us in our suffering, who walks us into insight rather than just looking at things in a natural way all the time. That's what we're trying to learn in the fourth Sunday of Lent. That God walks us out of these dark and rough spaces in our lives and bring us into a place of comfort, bring us into a place of sensing his presence, Bring us into a place of waiting upon him and not jumping to conclusions about other people. And that takes us to the gospel. The gospel of John, chapter 9. What a story. It's a story of the healing of a blind man. The chapter begins, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was the starting place. That's the way natural people look at things. That guy's blind. He must have done something wrong. His parents must have done something wrong. There's, there's a defect here somehow. That's a natural way of looking at things. Jesus, if you read the whole chapter, and we don't have time for that, Jesus set about in that chapter to dispute that line of thinking. To bring to insight his people that that's not the way to look at it. And so, it goes on to say that Jesus healed him. He spit on the ground, he mixed up some mud, he applied it to the man's eyes and told him to go and wash in a pool nearby. And the man did that. Born blind, a grown man now. And suddenly he could see. And everybody around him was surprised. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he's only, he only looks like him. But he him, looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the pool and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they said. I don't know. <laughs> He's not here now. He's, he moved on. <laughs> so they brought the man to the Pharisees. 
This doesn't fit into our religious way of looking at things. This is not the way it's done. There's several things here. Number one, you're a sinner. Number two, if he, if he mixed up mud on the Sabbath, he's a sinner. And two sinners doesn't like lead to a miracle. So, so this is off. And they, looking through natural eyes, they concluded that whatever happened to that man, if it happened, they weren't sure. They didn't even hardly believe it. If it happened, whatever it was, couldn't be of God. God doesn't deal with people that way. God doesn't use sinners to heal sinners. And they rejected the miracle. And the story goes on. They had quite a discussion about this. And they kept asking the man. They put him in interrogation. And they said, we've we got to figure this out. We have to be able to explain this. We have to be able to fit it under our microscope and define it and describe it and explain it in our natural way of looking at things. And the man, finally, he said, look, I've told this to you. Why do you keep asking? Maybe, are, are you guys wanting to be disciples too? Oh, God forbid, they said. We are followers of Moses. We know our Bibles. We know what the scriptures say. We know what's true and what's not true. And you're a follower of this guy. We don't even know who he is or where he's from. And the man said, well, I don't know. He said, one thing I can tell you, once I was blind, but now I see. Something changed in my life, and Jesus did it. And the scripture goes on. Finally, it says the Jews did not, the Pharisees did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. And the parents were called in for witness. The parents said, yeah, this is our son. He was born blind, and now he lives. And, it, and then uh, they, they kept pressing it, and, and that's when he said, I was born blind, but now I see. Well, it goes on to say, finally, uh, the, Jesus heard that they had, they, they, they got kicked out of the synagogue, by the way. We can't have these kind of people worshiping, worshiping with us here. People that believe that this Jesus guy could heal. We can't have that. Uh, we don't want you talking about it. We don't want any attention to be drawn to this. So you're out. See ya. They kicked him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? This is to the, the blind man that had been healed. Jesus said, you believe in the son of man? Son of man is a designation from the book of Daniel. If you know the story of the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, and then there, suddenly there was a fourth man in there, and the king said, that looks like a son of man in there. And it's a messianic term. It was a term that, it, that meant a supernatural manifestation of God's presence in a human being. And Jesus said, do you believe in the son of man? And the, and the, and the guy said, um, well, who is he, sir? <laughs> the man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Can you see the difference between 
those who were naturally minded, they didn't want to believe. And this man who had been healed and touched by Jesus, I want to believe. Sight to insight. And the man said, Lord, Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, it's me. I'm the one. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Remember the starting place? They were all under the assumption that if a man was born blind, it was because of sin somewhere. And Jesus said, no, that has nothing to do with it. God's glory is going to be manifested in this situation. And what's going to happen is, is that the blind are going to see. And those who think they see, those who think they know everything and got it all figured out, and it fits into their logic and reason and uh, the way they've designed their world, those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? <laughs> Watch this. Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. You see where they started? He's blind, he must be guilty of sin. Jesus said, no, no. If you're blind, you're not guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, you think you're all that, you think you know everything, you think you've got the Bible all figured out, you know God's laws and God's ways, your guilt remains. You're on the blind side of the equation. Sight and insight. What is the application for us today? The scripture says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. <clears throat> Boy, we do that, don't we? We just, we have our way of thinking, we have our paradigm, our worldview, and we want everything to fit into that and we work hard to keep it that way and control it that way, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your paths. You won't be wandering around in darkness and misunderstanding and confusion. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. As Samuel had to learn, so must we learn to wait for God to make clear the perspective God has. Worship, patience may be required. At times when we feel like we're lost in the darkness of dangerous valleys, get close enough to God that his touch is felt. His rod and his staff. 
will comfort you. God-pleasing living, as we described from Ephesians, God-pleasing living exposes the contrast between light and darkness. Cozy up to Jesus. We've been doing some things you've heard about in spiritual formation here. Moments of thought and reflection and waiting before the Lord. Reciting prayers, opening our hearts to him. Again, Jared helped us with that this morning. Let's take a few moments of silence just to reflect on things we're grateful for. What a beautiful thing that is. That's how we get close to the Lord. We have to stop. We have to set aside our own understandings. We have to say, Jesus, open my eyes that I may see. Help me to experience what you have for me from your perspective. Sight alone without the Holy Spirit's unfolding wisdom renders us lacking insight. We end up wandering through the canyons and harsh elements of life, lost and in danger. There are too many of us walking around life with sprained ankles, limping along, trying to get out of our situation. And lack of focus is keeping us away from knowing what God wants for us. Don't look at this the way man looks at it. The Lord said to Samuel, look through my eyes, I see it differently. And your circumstance, God sees differently than you see it. My circumstance, God usually sees it differently than we see it. And our challenge is to find what God is seeing, to see what God sees, to hear what God says, and to do what God asks us to do.